Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Well, I don't really know. I, I just found a... I've been trying to excavate the garage, which is where the movers, who I'm not going to go into because I'll literally be ranting for a year, uh, put all our stuff. Mm-hmm. Like a ton of stuff in boxes. They didn't label the boxes. They didn't even label what room the boxes came out of. Occasionally, a box will say books on it. That's not very helpful because Julian and I have a ton of books. Today, I managed to find the box that contained the other half of my role-playing game supplements. Uh, They put it all in one box. You know how large these books are. You understand that this box weighed like 170 freaking pounds. And I'm trying to pick it up. And I'm like, this isn't going to happen. So I I get I basically had to unload the box in pieces, like grab a chunk of books, run in with them, go back and get it again. When I was done, I realized that's not all of my collection. So more of the shit is out there. I am sorry that word came out and I didn't. You're fine. To. No, that's we get one. But I still have another like a couple shelves worth of stuff out there somewhere. It took me like weeks of going through boxes to find that stuff because it just it's buried underneath things and it just, uh, yeah, it's people it's a, it's a lot like, uh, that's an analogy for like uncovering a lot of things like tidbits of information and, and history and stories and stuff like that. But it's always a journey. And speaking of journeys, and this is a horrible non sequitur, but I'm going to run with it anyway. Uh, we are going to be answering your questions today. We haven't done this for a couple of weeks. We had a couple of themed episodes, uh, and we are going to take them primarily from our Patreon supporters uh, who have sent them in through our Discord server, but also some emails. And there's some uh, variety here because you can ask us about anything. You can ask us about any game. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a video game. It could be a tabletop game. It could be a war game. It could be anything that has a rich and sordid history. Uh, more than happy to talk about those. If you do have a question for us on this podcast or any of our other podcasts, we have a lot of them now. Uh, you can go ahead and send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just go ahead and specify what they're for. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and send those in through our Discord channel for Patreon Q and podcast questions. Uh, and if you are not a Patreon supporter, again, we understand times are very tough out there. Uh, you, we do have a pay, uh, just a regular Q and podcast question section for non-patrons, and we look everywhere. And occasionally, Matt and I will have to thumb wrestle over it, and it's really hard. Matt's hands are bigger than mine, which means he's got the reach advantage, uh, and it, 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 he generally wins. So, you know, make the specifications. And we'll go from there. Plus, recently I got a like a splinter or something in my thumb while we were doing the move. So it doesn't prevent me from winning the matches, but it does cause them to hurt. And then I get mad. <laughs> so. Yeah, let's uh, let's not make Matt mad. All right. But we're going to start with our first question here. Uh, if the A plot is restoring the dragons, and this is in re- 
for Dragonflight. What do you think the B-plot in Dragonflight will be? What side story or thread will we be pulling on? And I didn't copy the name down, so I apologize. Uh, but we've talked about this a little bit. What kind of B-plots do we think we're going to start seeing or would we like to see uh, with everything that's happening with the dragons, which I think we're pretty safe to say that restoring or helping the dragons resettle in some capacity is going to be sort of the A-plot? What do you think? No, there's not going to be any dragons in Dragonflight. I don't think you're safe to say that at all. Uh, and this is from Tetsemi, by the <laughs> way. Thank you, Tetsemi. Um, no, I, I, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's pretty pretty hard to not be dragony. I think it's it's going to be as dragony as a dragon riding on the back of a dragon. Um, but in terms of the B-plot, I want to be sarcastic here. <laughs> not, not just because I'm, I've been having a week, but I'm going to try and get my brain into like actually answering the question. Um, I definitely think we're going to see some stuff that's going on on Azeroth or has been going on while we were off doing our little jamboree. Um, I, I, I don't know how long it's been. Obviously, I don't think we're going to come back. It doesn't feel like we're going to have a time skip. If we do, it's not going to be a big one. Um, so I feel like we might even come back and they're like, wow, that was fast. Although it seems like people can come and go into the Shadowlands and like Cadgar shows up and he seems to be relatively informed about what's going on. So it feels like that news travels back and forth, which would imply that it seems like there's n- not a time discontinuity, if that makes sense. Well, we've also uh, had uh, two Death Knights at the very least opening up a portal and keeping those open for the last two years. So, you know. Yeah. So, you know, but I do think we we might get to see stuff like, you know, what have what has the Alliance and Horde been doing this whole time? What's Turalyon been like as regent since he's been basically sitting he's basically been running like the you know stormwind the whole time well the whole time anduin's been going the whole time gen's been trying to find him like i don't i don't know what Turalyon is like as a leader at this point it's been a thousand years since he led anybody in the alliance he, he's been leading you know the, the army of the light this whole time but so i'm interested to see that um i'd like to see for instance we know that there's there's an effort to reclaim uh the undercity Sorry, I couldn't think of the word Undercity for it. It was just like my brain was like, nope, don't know what that is. Uh, but there's been an effort to reclaim Undercity. Uh, we know that there's something going on with that, with Kalia Menethil and so forth. Um, so that could be something we might get to see. We might get to see what the thing that the Winter Queen gave to Rhonda actually does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm interested in seeing that. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to just regrow Teldrassil. Uh, for that matter, I don't. I don't know like how ungrown Teldrassil is. Like I don't know if the fire killed it. It certainly killed everybody on it, but we don't know if the tree itself actually died. Well, and that's an but, interesting but, thing too, right? Because but, like yeah. from the ashes, like I've been thinking about this a lot, specifically about Teldrassil, and you sort of sparked this to to come back to the forefront. So one of the things that used to be a very commonplace uh, farming thing was burning. Uh, crops to seed the land for the next season where you would take the ash, the the biomass essentially would wind up seeping into the soil so that you could have a more fruitful harvest of whatever you were growing. And usually it was when you were switching from one thing to another, like if you were growing wheat and then you wanted to grow corn in that same field for the next season or the next year, you would sometimes you would burn the wheat field, let it all, all that ash seep into the ground over the course of the winter so that it would basically have all the fresh nitrites or yeah, um, nitrates and, and have a a better, more bountiful growth 
the next season when you plant it and, and it had more more nutrients to grow out of. There's something that we've seen with like Warcraft before where we've seen dead world trees. Uh, we've seen them before. One of them actually had a sprout growing in the middle of it. Uh, I believe it was the one in Northrend with all the Fearbulg in it. Yeah, Vordrasil. Vordrasil. So that was without having any druids attached to it. That's without having anybody trying to cultivate it. Although Fearbulgs Fearbulgs can be druids and shamans, but that's a whole other story. But Teldrassil is fairly resilient. It had a piece of a nightmare tree grafted to it at one point with Xavius. Um, It's been around for a long while, despite, uh, well, relatively new in the grand scheme of world trees, but still it's been around for a while. Uh, And if it burned like that, there's also the potential that life could reclaim it because it is the only thing on that island. The island essentially is sprung up around it. So I would be interested to see if that's something that, that pops up, if maybe there is a natural regrowth there. But I am very interested, particularly in a B story that follows the elves. And we've talked about this before, but this is this is chief on my list of things that I want to see. Because the elves have been wronged for so long that I would love to see a story that encompasses them finding their place in the world again. That finds them having dealt with what they've had to deal with, with Taronda returning to the fold as the leader, not co-leader, the leader. Malfurion taking a back seat allowing Tehran to be the leader that she is, the leader that I think the elves need. Uh, Having that more, I don't want to say combat-oriented mind, but not being afraid of altercations at this point and being ready to step up and defend her people, to be the warrior priestess that she is. And I think that sets the tone. And I would love to see Tehran reaching out to other night elves, maybe high elves that are no longer, uh, you know, want to be associated with maybe the Horde side or whatever the case is, trying to find a way to bring some of these elves back together into a unified front. We already talked about how they have Hygel. What if the seed isn't for bringing the world tree back, but it's something for allowing the elves, elves in general, to prosper in Hygel, to start beating back the rift that's there where the elemental plane of fire is breaching into Hygel. It's still there. It's still present. Uh, it's how we get into the Firelands, even as a shaman, as recently as Legion. So, like, it's not gone. Maybe that's a way to start beating the back or to erect a barrier between the two so that they can actually prosper and actually have some form of safety to re- sort of, like, recover themselves. The other thing that I really want to see them explore is in the latest patch, uh, and this is a mild spoiler, I'm not going to go into too many details, there is a conversation that occurs in the Maw between Anduin and Sylvanas while Taronda's companion watches on, ever vigilant, as it was instructed to do. And it gives me some glimmers of hope for the future because there's a couple of loose ends that I'd love to see tied up. One, after reading the Sylvanas book multiple times, I am really fascinated and, and actually have grown to appreciate the relationship between Sylvanas and Nathanos Blightcaller. I'd like to see something where maybe she goes and reclaims him, finds where it happened to him, finds where he is after her penance or maybe part of her penance, because I do still think that he might be one of the souls in the Jailer's private collection, and it's only a matter of time before she has to go in there and get those souls too. Because remember, it wasn't just the Night Elves, it was 
all souls condemned to the mall. So eventually she'll get there. I'd like to see the aftermath of that conversation that she had with Anduin, where they both started putting things in perspective, not just for each other, but for themselves as well. And it was a very powerful moment. I'd love to see the fallout from that, especially because I think Anduin now, having gone through that trauma, is poised to be a better king than his father ever was, but also now understands partially the trials and tribulations that his father went through, more so than he did beforehand. So I'd like to see that. I'd like to see uh, the Worgen reclaim Gilneas and rebuild. I'd like to see a, a story that revolves around that. As much as restoring the Dragonflight is going to be the A one, I, uh, a story, I want the B story to be how is all the other cultures, all the other races rebuilding in the aftermath of this. That's what I would like to see. Anything else to add to that? Yeah, actually. Um, Go for this it. One, this one kind of connects to the A story a bit. Do you remember... When the Draenei crashed, they crashed on a couple islands, the Blood Mist and Azure Mist Isles, that were relatively close to um, Teldrassil. Um, and on those islands, to the, the north, I believe, of Blood Mist, there's a ruin. And that ruin is Loretharon. And Loretharon was a city where night elves lived with green dragons. They were blessed mm. by Ysera, and they rode these dragons into battle. And lived alongside them. They were like, it wasn't like, it was more like uh, Dragon Rise of Pern without the somewhat salacious parts than than in anything else. They weren't their mounts. They were like partners. And eventually, the the idea of the green and and green dragonflight and and humanoids elves working together so irritated Deathwing during the uh, the Sundering that he decided, no, I'm not allowing this. I'm not allowing for green dragons to live with, with mortals. And so he basically had his servants, including uh, one of his, I think children, uh, Razor Maw. He was certainly a big old black dragon. They came and attacked Loretharon before they knew what was coming. Like they didn't know that the black dragon flight had betrayed them yet. Mm-hmm. It hadn't gotten out there yet. So when a bunch of black dragons showed up, they didn't initially understand that this was, you know, an attack. And then the dragons attacked them and they were like, oh my God. And then they all died. Um, so the, the destruction in of itself was bad. But then when the uh, sundering happened, when the world was split in half, basically, when, when the continent of Teldrassil, I mean, not, not Teldrassil, of, of Kalimdor, when it was ripped in, into pieces, the, the, the rest of Loretharon was destroyed as well. Um, I don't know if Loretharon was on an island beforehand or not, but it is now what's left of it is on an island and in the water around it and it's there and you can go see it it's it's what's called wormscar island if if this wiki is to be believed i had to go look it up cuz i couldn't remember um but there's a whole bunch of dead green dragon spirits and it's like a it's like a graveyard of their bones and the one the ghost of one of their princes is there we've seen that before night elves could do that sometimes and i'd like to see like I'd like to see some acknowledgement of it, possibly even like a attempt to restart the tradition. Maybe like you, you know, you talked before about them getting that piece from maybe it was for Hygel, but maybe they're not supposed to be in Hygel. Maybe they're supposed to be there. It's true. Um, but at any rate, that's just something I would like them to see. I would like to see more about that. As, as someone points out, Loretha Aran states you know has a similar name to other enough ruins uh, and these these ruins might have been 
closer to each other before the sund- the sundering. Maybe there were Darkshore, Fellwood, and, P- and Loretheron all might be related, and there might have been a Night Elf city there. And in fact, that would make sense for where the buildings in Darnassus come from. Because if you think about it, we saw what the buildings looked like during the reign of Ashara. They weren't white stone. They were painted. So those buildings are not new construction. They didn't build new buildings and then not paint them. That, that doesn't make sense. They, it's the old buildings. They literally lifted them off the seafloor with the tree. Mm-hmm. So all of this might have been part of a similar com- a complex. There might have been a, a whole night elf city there beforehand. And then the stuff we see when we go to Darnassus before it burned was the, the remnants of that city. It's possible anyway. And I would like to see something done with it. So that's that's my last bit. Well, these are all good things. And maybe, maybe we'll see some of them. Let's hope. Our next question comes from Jek, uh, or Yeki. There we go. Yeki, as in Yeti. Uh, so there are two questions here. We're going to start with the first one. As my computer is not working, I'm going to have several questions that I will spread out over the weeks. Well, I'm using two of them now. Ha! Uh, in the quest, The Lightbringer's Redemption, Uther is very pleased with your success and says you have given him a greater gift than you can know. How he's still able to treasure the good of what Arthas once stood for and be proud of those memories. In Shadowlands and in the Kyrian cinematics, where he dumps Arthas into the Maw, there's no resemblance of this Uther. Can this be a discrepancy with ghosts in Azeroth and their selves in the afterlife or, or that just don't add up? Or can it be something with the fact that Arthas split Uther's soul into two with Shadowmorn and one part is, rep- is represented in Azeroth and the other is the one we meet in Shadowlands? I vaguely remember you discussing this as a similar topic a while back, but I'm not sure. So... We mentioned this at the beginning of the announcements for Shadowlands when they mentioned that we were going to be learn we were going to be interacting with Uther. Um, when they announced that, we had a very long discussion about is it actually Uther? Because at several points in time, we actually go and visit Uther's grave, and there were points and quests that you could go and interact with them. There were things that you did with him. Um, but here's the thing. We don't understand the timeline really, truly of the Shadowlands because it's a timeless place. And we've talked about this a bunch, too. We know that in the shorts, like what happened, we know that in the cinematic what happened, but we don't know when it happened. We don't know how long ago that was. We don't know if the fragment of his soul that was wandering or or there, you know, was called back to Bastion. There's also another another thing, too. We don't know if the light takes a piece of him either. And if we don't know how far a soul can fracture, we know that it can. We know that different pieces can be carved away and almost like different aspects of that person's life. But we don't know how that actually works or what it actually looks like. And if Shadowmorn can do it, maybe or Frostmorn, if Frostmorn can do it, maybe other things can as well. Maybe the light can keep an echo of that person's righteousness. Maybe. They, I don't know, like we, and we don't know if there's a separate afterlife for where the light touches or anything like that. We know the light can touch the Shadowlands, but they are diametrically opposed. Just look at what happens in uh, Revendreth when you go to the whole black, the, the basically the scarred, uh, scarred lands, the blown out lands that they have there. So I don't know. I don't think it's a discrepancy. I think it's a timing and a framing of that timing. Matt, what do you think about Uther and his how he's been portrayed throughout that? It's a dreadlord. 
that's going to be our answer for everything. It's a dreadlock. I honestly, everything else is, I was thinking is stuff you already said. So, um, we don't know if it's a timing thing. We don't know if he, there's a fragment of his soul left behind on Azeroth, um, that would be able to contact the light because it could contact the light before. Um, we know that for instance, Zeliac could contact the light, even though he was not only was he dead, mm-hmm. he was in an undead body. He was a forsaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't even a forsaken. He was scourge, straight up scourge. And he could still, you know, call on the Holy light and, and it would, it would answer him. So it's clear that the light doesn't necessarily abandon you just because you die. I mean, we even have, uh, doesn't Adal even say that? Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, the light does not abandon his champions. So it's possible that when Arthas did what he did, that the light saved what it could, um, or maybe not. I honestly don't know. You know, we do, we don't have enough information on this. Nobody seems to really even ask Uther this. There's no point in, uh, it would be nice if they'd had given him some kind of dialogue where you go up to him and say, Hey, that time I went to your grave and talked to you. What's up with that? Was that you? Was that a dreadlord? Well, see, it was a dreadlord, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, you know, we don't know. Like, we we don't have anything where we could bring that up. So, you know, it's like I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a loose end, right? Like, it's a loose end that we've we've been asking about. I would love to have it be addressed. I'd love to, like, they snuck in that that cinematic with uh, the conversation between Anduin and Sylvanas. I'd love to see them do something like that with Uther. And now Uther is kind of a Kyrian. There's nothing that's preventing him from being able to cross through the barriers now. Um, he's got the wings. He's He's got the ability. We know that he can do it. So maybe we have further conversations with him. Maybe at some point he shows up to have a long conversation with Anduin and console him. Or maybe he comes back and talks to Trallian. And Or maybe he comes back and goes to his grave and has a conversation with himself about who the heck that guy is. Yeah. Who are you? Maybe there's a quest where it's like, Uther wants you to meet him at his grave and you go, well, that's a little strange. And he goes, yeah, that ain't me. Let's, uh, that, that, you know, and then Latraxian jumps out. Ha, it was me all along. There's no such thing as a good red Lord. <laughs> Trolls his mustache and then turns into bats. Like there's, there's a tons of things that could happen, but it's a loose end right now. We'll find out at some point. All right. And, and you did have another question here, which I think we're just going to move right into, which is, uh, in the lore watch in the episode about dragons, you mentioned that Alex Strauss and Ysera are from the same clutch as proto drakes. Were they different colors back then as well? When they were gifted their powers by the watchers, they were obviously not the same color anymore. I don't know if that necessarily mattered for proto drakes back then. I don't know if they actually ever mentioned whether or not they were the same colors. Did they Matt? Uh, I think they actually are the same. They were the colors that they are now. So they were always red um, and green. Yeah. Cause if you look at the original cover to, you know, Twilight, you know, as you know, the beat, dawn of the dragons here. I'm looking at it right now, and there's a blue proto drake, and there's kind of a amber proto drake, and there's a green proto drake, and there's a red proto drake, and then right off in the corner is a little black proto drake. So I think that they didn't, the colors didn't mean a flight back then. They were just proto drakes could be various colors, and proto drakes could have various elemental things, which I think we're going to tie into in Shadowlands, and uh, not Shadowlands, uh, Dragonflight, by the way. Yeah. I think we're going to find out about those other elemental drakes that we're going to meet are related to this process. That, like, if the Titans and Titanforged hadn't intervened, I mean, obviously the five aspects wouldn't be around anymore, but proto drakes would have kept going along the path they were going. They were headed towards this, you know, fused elemental. F- corporal existence um and like you know Neltharion, for instance uh 
was a Drake. You know, he was a Drake. All of the original aspects were, were proto-Drakes. Um, and Alex Strazo was supposedly one of the smarter ones. And uh, Ysera was like another of them. But Ysera was younger and sickly. So Alex Strazo was kind of like her guardian. Yeah, like I remember she would like, like when they would hunt, like Alex Strazo would give her her kills. I remember that in the book. And there were actually, there was another sibling, um, Dreyad, I think his name is, or Dreyad. Dreyad. Okay. Yeah. And, and he, he didn't make it, obviously. He was killed uh, on a hunt and it was Galakrond actually who killed him. And yeah, nobody knew what happened to him. Yeah, because they found him and he was like shriveled, shriveled flesh on bone or whatever. And he was orange. Yes. Like he was, he was orange. Uh, you know, Alex Raza was red and, and you know, Sarah was green. Had he survived and become one of the aspects, who knows? Maybe we'd have an orange dragonflight. They, they taste really great and, and you'd be half the calories. I don't know. I'm that I list like orange things, but seriously, I, I don't, it, it doesn't feel based on what we have seen that Drake's have that same thing back then. We now know that currently Drake's do come into like, there's specific kinds of Drake's. There are, for instance, in Northrend, we know there's drakes who live around fire and are reddish in color. Um, so it feels like over time, they've gone from, you know, you could be any color to there are lineages of colors that are like forming, kind of naturally forming their own version of flights. But we don't, you know, all we know is that Alex Strauss, and their brother Drelad were all different colors and they were from the same clutch. So, yes, they were different colors. This is indisputable. Yeah, and what that actually means, I think Matt's correct. I think we're going to find out more about that as we move through uh, Dragonflight, because it's inevitable that we're going to learn more about the history of the Dragonflights, and in particular, the aspects, how they became the aspects, how the Dragonflights became the Dragonflights, because don't forget, when they were proto-drakes, they were drakes, they were not dragons. They were modified and empowered by the, you know, the Watchers, by the, the, the gifts of of bringing brought down to them by tear and all of them. Uh, and that's when they became the dragon flights. And we see some of that malleability still with other dragon flights. We talked about that during the dragon flight episodes where, you know, nether drakes are very Drake like, but have sort of that dragon aspects to them. And there are uh, like the one in Karazhan is a full dragon. It is not a Drake. Um, they sort of have this sort of evolution where we talked about how they can, consume sort of that energy around them and be uh, changed by it, that could also be something that was always the case with proto-drakes. They could have been in tune with Azeroth because they were natural creations of it, and from where they were, like, Northrend is a very, very varied place. Uh, It is not all one frigid biome, so they could have been in tune with different places or different aspects of life up there. I mean, heck, you go into, uh, what is it, Borean Tundra, you have, or Orshalazar Basin, you have everything. You have every climate in a very compact area. Uh, and when you deal with the proto-drakes up there, they're all various colors. But I'm sure we'll find out more about that, what it meant, and, and things like that as we progress through Dragonflight. At least that's my theory. All right. I think we're going to move on to the next one there. Thank you, Yeti, or Yeki. Uh, next one is from Halleck. Hello, Lowwatch. With the transmog system, there's usually no gameplay reason to hold on to old items, but there but are there items that you still hold on to anyway for either lore or nostalgia's sake? Items such as artifact weapons, items that took you a really long time to get, etc. What's your favorite item that you held on to? So I No. 
Do you legitimately not keep a hold of everything once it's in your transmog? Are you kidding me? <laughs> my void storage is packed to the brim. Yep. My original main still has every piece of gear he ever collected. It is it is a nightmare. I mean, leaving aside the shoulders that have my name on them, I, I still I mean and I do have those and I do I do keep them around. Um where there's like my my sulfuros, mm-hmm. my original sulfuros that I got back in two thousand six. Actually, I think I got it in two thousand five. Yeah, I still have that. Are you kidding me? That's never going anywhere. The Ashkandi that finally dropped for me. Yeah, I got that. Um, and in both cases, I'm keeping them for the lore and for the fact that they were hard to get. But the lore aspect, I mean, Ashkandi is literally Anduin Lothar's sword. It, it is the great sword of the Brotherhood of the Horse. Um, why does it look all dragony now? Like, did the dragons do something to it? Do things just get dragony if they're around a dragon long enough? Is that going to be a thing in Dragonflight where we find out that if you give a dragon a necklace, if the dragon keeps it for a couple of months, it turns into a dragon necklace? I mean, what's the deal here? That's something I've always wondered about. Um, the Sulphuros, obviously, it's it's Sulphuros. It's it's Rag's hammer. It, it, it You know, the eye of, of Sulphuron, you use it, boom, you, you create a replica of, of Rag's hammer. Uh, the, you know, warrior tier 10, I kept just because it's the, partially cause it's the set that I was wearing when I killed the Lich King, but also I kept it because it's the Ymir Yar Lord's armor. It's literally Vrykul armor. And I was wearing it on a human. So yeah, of course he kept it. Why wouldn't, you know, that that's literally his heritage. He's wearing his heritage. Yeah. I'm keeping that. Um, there's so many that I would, I could literally be here like all week, like Armageddon, from from Nax, which I keep because it is ridiculously awesome looking, but also because Nax in general, like all the weapons in there seem to have some kind of reference to previous stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's there's tons. Uh, my favorite is probably still Sulphuros, <laughs> uh, with Ashkandi as a close second. That's fair. Uh, I have three things that I will never, ever, ever get rid of. Uh, one is Volanir, Hammer of the Ancient Kings. One, because it is, to me, one of the best lore weapons that they've ever had that they never did anything with, and I really am sad that they didn't do it, especially during Legion when they had the opportunity to. Um, so the it was created by the Titans, and it was given to the first Earthen King, Arel Stoneheart, who was charged by using this in, in this this imbued weapon to giving life to the rest of the earthen they wouldn't be here without this weapon it was shattered during the the, the war i want to say it was with the iron dwarves when the earthen went to war with the iron dwarves and the fragments were just spread out forever you assemble them you put them together by going through and collecting the the pieces through alduar and when you get all of the pieces all of the fragments you forge them in the gut of an old god. You put them back together again by basically throwing it into its mouth, one of its mouths, it has a lot of mouths, uh, and then ripping it from its quote-unquote corpse. But it is one of the coolest, in my opinion, uh, especially for the time, art pieces. It had one of the coolest stories, and it will forever have one of the coolest effects, which was all of your spells having a chance to proc a blessing of the ancient kings, which would shield uh, your your targets 
for a certain amount of damage that they were healed for. And you could have bubble parties and it procked off of everything, but it just made you feel powerful in a way that I don't think any other legendary healer item did in game, at least to me. Now, everybody's going to, your mileage may vary. You may have a different one. That's your favorite. But for me, Valinir will always be something that I have in my bags, not even in my bank. It is on my shaman in his bag and has been there since I got this piece. It will never go away. It will never be deleted. Um, and I will never even put it in storage. The other one is Rock Ladar, which was the hunter. It was not a legendary item, although it should have been. It was an epic from Vanilla where it had one of the coolest, to me at the time, immersive class quests that you could ever have. Uh, you got the ancient petrified leaf and you took it to uh, Vartris the Ancient, who gave you a task to seek revenge against the agents of the Burning Legion uh, through four different zones to basically murder them, take their heads, and bring it back. Uh, and if you did that, the ancients, which were these... We're talking about the ancients that you see from Warcraft 3, the ancients that walk around at the time, like the Night Elf lands. Some of them are still around. You'll still interact with them. But they would then help you reconstruct this ancient weapon uh, that was just imbued with the power of life uh, and the power of, of nature. And it was just absolutely wonderful. And then it also came with a transformation. You could take the bowstring off of it, essentially, and turn it into a stave, which is sometimes what would happen with old school longbows because they were made out of such, you know, sturdy material that sometimes that you could do that. You could use them as a, a melee weapon. It was just a really, really amazing quest line. It involved a lot of time and effort uh, to put it together, especially back then where these demons that you had to hunt would spawn every four hours. It was just phenomenal. And, I have such good memories associated with it, not just from getting it in game, but from the people in the guild that helped me do it, some of which who are no longer with us. Uh, rest in peace, Ironsides. It it was just such a... We talk about like community through storytelling. That was one of them. It was, a, it was an event. People would get together, and even if you were in like opposite guilds, they would work with you to get it because you were along on that quest line. Uh, and it was an important thing for hunters to have. And it stayed an important weapon that also is in my hunter's bags. It will never, ever leave that. So, and then the last thing is also the hunter set, which is the dragon stalker uh, armor, because it took me 18 years to get the hands. I will never delete that ever. 18 years to get just hands, hands, only thing I needed. So yeah, those are the ones that I will never get rid of. Uh, one with a story and two because they just mean a whole heck of a lot to me. All right. Anything else? Any other ones you want to shout out, Matt, before we move on to the next question? I mean, I could talk about Quell Sarar. Oh, Quell Sarar is so good. I think we should actually do an episode on Quell Sarar. You know, I think you're right because there's so many different permutations of that. I think that might be next week. We'll see. We'll see how we feel at the end of this one. All right. Our next question comes from Farabor from Moonguard. 
Uh, first time, long time. Like you folks, I followed Warcraft lore for years and years at this point, but something I think that often is where I would suggest a new player to start with. Practically every Warcraft fan jumped in at a point with a story that was informed by the events of what happened before. Whether that was Warcraft 3 in the shadows of the first and second wars, or a new player leveling in Battle for Azeroth in the shadows of so, so much. So I don't think it's really necessary, even better, for a new player to try to find the beginning. But on the other hand, jumping right in with the boosts and Shadowlands is probably the wrong call from a story perspective. Is there a place where you would consider a starting point for a new fan of the franchise? Is there content you would find more necessary than others? Or perhaps do you think this entire question is missing the point uh, and that a non-chronological abstract story is part of the charm of Warcraft? I'm going to toss this to Matt first. What do you think? This is kind of hard for me because I started WoW when wow started so for me in my head the game almost begins with four years ago the horde and alliance you know that that whole mm-hmm. that whole routine that they got the Maev's voice actor to do and then didn't have Maev in the game for years i don't know why that was but yeah i i just that to me is the story of world of warcraft and so it's hard for me to like, you know, I've been playing the game for so long that it's hard for me to like sit down and say, okay, if some someone new is coming in right now, where should they start? I think Exiles Reach is a really good place to start mm-hmm. because it just sets up without telling you specifically too much about the world. It just starts off, you're in X faction, you're going out to sea with your, you know, with your people to explore this area. And this stuff happens and you end up shipwrecked on this island and now you have to get off. You have to, to, to get rescued and deal with the hostile things that are on this island. And it, it gives you a good introduction without dumping too much story on you. And for a new player, you have to do Exiles Reach and then you have to go to battle for Azeroth. And I think that that's a reason, reasonable thing for a new player because you you basically get, okay... Here's the Horde and Alliance. They're not currently getting along. There's tension. Here, here it is. Go to um, you know Zandalar or Kaltiris. Experience the story. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the background that you don't know. But that stuff isn't immediately necessary to grasp what's going on in Battle for Azeroth. And that's I think that's the reason Battle for Azeroth is going to be the starting experience for new players for the foreseeable future. They're not, they're not putting you in shadowlands. They've straight up said this when battle, when Dragonflight comes out, it's still going to be exiles reach then battle for Azeroth for new players. Mm-hmm. They're not making you level in shadowlands. Um, I didn't get that. Could no. you try again? No, Siri. I'm busy right now. Could you talk to me later? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, before my iPad decided to get involved in this conversation, uh, I, I do think that that's, I think it would be hard to introduce people to this game with Shadowlands. I liked Shadowlands. I think Shadowlands was well done. It was well written. The zones were good. I have mostly positive things to say about it. I have a few negatives because, you know. Nothing's perfect. It, yeah, nothing's perfect, and it's me. Um, but overall, I, I thought Shadowlands was pretty solid. It was a good expansion. But at the same time, it was not a linear... It told a linear story because you would go from zone to zone, but it's not a very easy-to-apprehend place. It's, it's not... It's very esoteric. Yeah. yeah, it's like we are in the realm of death, which is split up into multiple kingdoms ruled by these beings that are like... It's like, what? Like, um, 
Uh, I thought there was going to be some orc punching. Wasn't orc punching on the menu? No, no. Orcs punch you. It, you get punched by orcs. But nevertheless, no, that's not happening. Instead, we're going to go meet up with this buff lady orc who's who's Thrall's mommy. And she's going to like be our mommy, too, for a while. And it's quite confusing and scary. But eventually, you'll get past those feelings. And you'll understand that this story makes no no coherent sense until you've really thought about it. And that's the thing is I don't feel like this is a this is not a ten to sixty experience. No, you know, you know it's it is. You do not want to be leveling up because imagine you're like the thing about did you have you leveled the character from ten to sixty in yeah 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 have you leveled one in Battle for Azeroth zones like yes. just leave Exos Reach and go to Battle. Have you noticed that you're barely in a zone before you're almost out of it again? That's how it's always been though. So yeah. Oh no. yeah, but think imagine that in Shadowlands. Yeah. Like where you're like, okay, I'm not getting any experience, but the story isn't even halfway done and I can't leave until I finish it. You know what I mean? I, I just don't think that's going to work. I think that the narrative is not one that is is tremendously noob friendly. That would let me put it that way. It is not this is not uh, the bunny trail for WoW lore. I think Battle for Azeroth is a better starting as but if I'm picking one, if I'm telling people what to do, I would straight up say level through old Azeroth. Yeah. I mean, you have to do the Cataclysm version unless you feel like playing WoW Classic, but I would definitely say go 10 to 60 in Azeroth. Um, you'll get a really good sense of what the story is, at least as of Cataclysm, and you'll you'll get to see the world of Warcraft. You'll actually get to see the world that was all originally about. And that's one of the things I like about Dragonflight is that it is a place in that world. It's not another dimension. It's not another weird time frame. It's It's Azeroth. It's just another place in Azeroth. And that's, that's for me, my advice would be original WoW. Or as close to it as you can get. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird mix because there are so, there's so much lore and story that you could go with and, 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 and there's so much to cover. I've mentioned this before that, one, I agree with Matt. I think that that's the best way if you want to get your feet wet. Um, I think ultimately Exile's Reach to Battle for Azeroth isn't terrible because they do try to do some recaps, but I kind of hope that this becomes a thing that they actually address. And we talked about this before, and I brought this up when Anne was still around. One of the things that I, I wish they would do is they would leverage the lore walkers. The lore walkers have this way of telling a story that you can actually interact with it. This is established canon. This is something that they did in Mists of Pandaria. And now that the world is open to them, the mists are no longer there, and Pandarans are out in the world, the idea of lore walkers going through the world collecting the stories of Azeroth over the course of these last several years is something that's very appealing to me. And if it was this thing where, you know, oh, young warrior, you're new to horde or you're new to alliance and you don't understand your history fully you don't understand what's happened over the course of the last 30 years let me tell you a story and so it, it's it's weird to point to this but in, even in shadowlands they kind of do this a little bit with the ardenweld plays because the plays sort of revisit the big story points and they do it in a comedic fashion but what if it wasn't a comedic fashion what if it was the lore walkers telling you the big story points throughout the history of, of Azeroth, throughout the history of Warcraft, in a way that players can interact with, 
that's something that I would love to see. I'd love to see that actually implemented so that players who cared about the story, again, as optional stuff, could go back and say, well, maybe as a crash, co- a crash course, because don't get me wrong, I'd love to have somebody and tell them to sit down and listen to, to all 300 hours of this podcast. We're all several hundred hours of the other lore content that's out there, but it's not that's not viable, right? If they could put the highlights and, and break that down into something that players could experience in game, have it be an immersive experience for those that want to feel the story, that's what would be best. But if not, leveling through old Azeroth, or at least in this particular case, Cataclysm Azeroth, gives you at least an idea of what happened with the world moving from that point forward. Uh, and then again, the only way to really understand what happened in Classic is to go back to Classic and play through it. So it's it's a tricky question because new players are sort of, you're coming in late. It's like, I liken it to comic book, like coming into comics now and the year 2022 and having, let's say you just want to really get into Spider-Man, but you want to know all the story that happened with Spider-Man in the past. There's like 60 years of Spider-Man comics. There's 60 years of story. It's a mountain to dig through to understand everything that happened. And even even like Marvel and even DC will try to periodically give a synopsis of what happened over the course or the or they'll redo the origin story, quote unquote. But it's really just to kind of give you an idea of what the background of the characters are so that you can catch up so that you don't have to, you know, dig out the 1970s or 1980s Moon Knights uh, to understand who Moon Knight is. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that they actually take a look and do something where lore is condensed and maybe giving you a shot in the arm. I think it's, you know what, something that I actually saw happen once that, that I think is a really good way to put this. Hmm. Uh, I went to go see, do you remember back in like the late nineties, just before the prequel trilogy came out, they did a re-release of star Wars Yeah, in theaters. I'm, I like star Wars. I, I, I really like lightsaber fights. I always have, uh, by the way, Obi-Wan really good. Um, so I went to go see it. And the first movie watched it in the theater. You know, it was great. There were a lot of kids there, like really young kids, and they were having a good time. Uh, got up, you know, second, first movie ended. They had like a 20 minute intermission. You could go, you know, to the bathroom, get some chips, whatever. Did that, came back, started up Empire. Pretty much people seemed to be having a good time. It was, you know, it's a fun movie. Uh, I like Empire. Um, but we get to a certain moment, and I'll never forget this moment in my life. I will never forget this. The part where, okay, and if you don't know this, this is spoilers for a movie that came out in 1983, but the point where Obi-Wan never told you told you how your father died, did he? No, he never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, Luke, I am your father. And the kid in the audience went nuts. He was like, bleep, mom, did you hear that, mom? He said bleep. He's just bleeping dad. And I, I'm putting in bleeps here, obviously. The kid was swearing. And the mother was trying to tell him to stop, but was also laughing too hard. That's what coming into some of this stuff is like sometimes. It's like everybody who's been in it for a while knows this, and they kind of forgot how it felt when it was new, when it was new to you, when you mm-hmm. didn't know all this stuff. And then suddenly, there it is. And you get to witness that if you're, you know, if you're cool to people, you get to witness that, that moment where the kid finds out that Darth Vader is Luke's father and it's a complete 
you know, it's like, what, what, <laughs> you know, and, and I, 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 I liken it to that a lot. If somebody who came into star Wars in the, in the recent era and was like really excited and wanted to like see it because he saw the poster and was like, like this young girl or boy wanted to see the, the cool lightsaber movie. It, it's almost an impediment to have to know too much about it. You mm-hmm. should be able to sit down and watch the movie or whatever, however you're coming to. So yeah, I, I definitely think that there's, there's a ton of Warcraft. Like I can't, like I said, I started playing in when, when WoW came out, but I was not a big Warcraft fan. I liked Diablo. I mean, I was really into Diablo. I did not, was not tremendously into Warcraft. I like role-playing games. I'm not a big real-time strategy player. Mm-hmm. So for me, World of Warcraft was that for Warcraft lore. World of Warcraft was how I got into it. But now there's so much lore that's from WoW that if you start playing WoW, yeah, you're gonna it's gonna require you to learn these things. But the thing is, is it doesn't really require you to learn that much of it. You can play WoW and and learn absolutely nothing about the story if you wanted to. Yep. I don't. I mean, why would you? I mean, you know, we're we're on a show called Lore Watch here. I, I think it's fair to say Joe and I care about the lore, but, you know, and, and before us, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people who do, but if you come into wow and you don't know what's going on, that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay that you don't know any of this. You'll figure it out. You will learn it. Uh, you almost don't have to even try. So yeah, I, I feel like I've been going for a bit now and I should shut up, but, but I just wanted to say that, that, that there is a lot of it, but at the same time, don't view it. Don't view it as like an impediment. View it as you're that kid about to find out that Darth Vader is Luke's dad. You know that moment is about to happen for you a few times. So just go ahead, get ready for it. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about that. Where there's a certain level of those moments now for new players are already existing in the current content, right? Like it's it's that wow factor of finding out certain things and some of those things hitting like a big surprise. It's there. It's it's just there as it was in vanilla. It's just different. So there's really no right or wrong answer as far as getting to the lore of it is concerned. Uh, I think we have time for one last question. And uh, so I pulled this from our emails uh, and this is from uh, Katsuhiro. And it is a question about Warhammer 40K. Uh, Greetings, watchers. What are your thoughts on the machine spirit? What even is it? On one hand, there's the possibility that tech priests don't fully understand what they're doing and where they maintain the ancient technology. So perhaps their prayers are just superstition. But on the other hand, we've seen that prayer to technology has made it do seemingly impossible things after the machine spirit has responded. So it must exist, but what is it? I personally like the idea that it's a fragment of a larger piece of AI that existed during the Dark Ages of Technology after the Men of Iron were defeated and all AI was outlawed. But we know that not all AI was exterminated. I like the idea of a machine spirit really is just a small shard of a much larger program that was destroyed millennia earlier and now survives hiding within the Imperium, probably not even self-aware anymore. So for context, in Warhammer 40k, it is a post-apocalyptic, far-flung, grimdark future setting where man has sort of fused technology and mysticism into a single entity to combat forces of darkness. Uh, The machine spirit is is something that has existed since the very early days of the game and is something that I folks call tech priests would actually pray to to bring things online like tanks or a giant mecha robots called knights, which think of like Jaegers almost. Um, but the truth is, is the line between mysticism 
and technology is so blurred in the universe that it could actually be either or both. Uh, for me, the machine spirit has always been sort of that fusing of the two where there is an element of mysticism to it, particularly when you start talking about the machine spirits in larger things like knights, which are machines. They're machines that her- retain hereditary data or memories from the house that the knight belongs to. But when a person that's piloting that that knight is in distress or isn't even in the machine, the knight can act on its own. We see this. It's sort of a theme that goes through. And I think it's intentional that the machine spirit itself is supposed to be very ambiguous. You're not supposed to have a clear idea of what it is. Like you point out, tech priests praying to it cause it to do things. Like a there's stories there the tank is like seemingly uh, beyond all hope. It's it's dead. It's not kicking over. But then they say the litany of the the god emperor and or, or the litany to the machine spirit, and all of a sudden it gives him one last burst that gets him out of danger or gets them home safely or charges up the weapon one last time to clear the path for those on foot uh, in a giant noble sacrifice. But it is this perfect encapsulation of the grim dark future where there isn't really a line anymore between technology and mysticism. And I really like that. I like the idea that this is an ambiguous thing. Now, Matt, I know you know a little bit about Warhammer. I don't know how much you know, and we talked about this before, but were you familiar with the machine spirit beforehand? I'd like to tell you a story about something that happened 10,000 years ago. <laughs> the true savior of humanity, Horus, was about to save mankind alongside his patrons of freedom and randomness. He brought liberation from the stagnant, rigid, orderly being, the anathema, that some today call the emperor of mankind. This being lived from the Neolithic period onwards, this ancient, ancient being, although there is some debate as to whether or not he actually did live during the Neolithic but he sought stagnation in order. You'll note that his name is often mentioned in the mech priest's mouth. What would a spirit of machines be? Would it be into freedom? Would it be into liberation? Would it be into making one's own choices and one's own path? Would it be into the thing some mislabel chaos? Or would it be a being of order? And would these beings of order, possibly rivals to the chaos gods, use a liturgy of mechanical things because mechanical things are material things and material things are locked into a shape? They're locked into a consciousness. The first simple machine is a is a pulley or a lever, just a stick even. You take a stick, you put that stick underneath a rock and use it to lever the rock up. You've just made a machine. That is a machine. And the same Neolithic shamans that became the emperor of mankind that combined their souls and wills and psychic power into one reincarnation that would never die to try and shape the destiny of mankind away from the gods of chaos. They probably loved machines. And you'll notice that the war between mankind and its own mechanical creations wasn't until they started giving them minds of their own. Because a mind can be free. And in the view of the Imperium, freedom and chaos are the same thing. So it wasn't until they put chaos inside order that the machines rebelled and the war between the robots and the mechanical minds and mankind happened that destroyed the original human 
I don't even know what you'd call it, before the Imperium. The thing that allowed them today to have the machine priests basically spouting off mumbo-jumbo that they don't understand came from chaos inside order. So I would think the machine spirit is essentially a kind of tamed chaos god. It's a being that has been imprisoned in order and is being used in machines, but which has its own ability to make decisions, at least to some degree. That's what I would say. But definitely, if Horus had won, it'd be a very different world. (laughs) Uh, I love it. And that's going to be the first of hopefully many uh, questions about uh, 40K and possibly Age of Sigmar that we'll get in the near future. Uh, And a shout out to Korn, who loves to send Matt private messages with questions for us for the other podcast. Uh, This time it wasn't you. (laughs) Ha ha! Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast. Better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue in an ad-free site experience. As a reminder, those of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard, as well as the game industry at large for demanding a better change uh, for tomorrow, safer work environments, and their continued efforts to unionize. If you have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, or you can go ahead and send them to one of our various Discord channels, whether that is our, for our patrons at Patreon Q and Podcast Questions, or just the Q and Podcast Questions section. Uh, any parting thoughts before we uh, call it a day here, Matt? I mean, it's interesting to think about the fact that the Emperor of Mankind has basically been dead, but kept alive inside of the Golden Throne for the past 10,000 years. Oh, we're going to have an episode about this. We're going to have an episode about this because I have theories that I've been crack- that I've been cracking up for about now. God, what year is it? 30 years now? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's interesting to think about when you're talking about the machine spirit. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and for that matter, if they let him die, mankind loses faster than light travel. Well... That's a whole other thing because the astronaut, the astro the astro telepath chorus still exists without the emperor even. Yeah, but aren't they like literally they basically sacrificing themselves? At no, the, like the nature of a thousand a day. Not, Not them. them specifically, but the, there are psychics literally dying a thousand a day to keep him going. To keep the machine going. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but that's another topic for another. Say again, if you folks want to know more about the the Warhammer forty k lore ask this is something that i've been super deep into forever yeah yeah. i've never played warhammer but i well i've played warhammer fantasy the role-playing game but i've never played like you know tabletop warhammer but i read all these freak out novels because the guys who wrote the nova comic were writing tons of 40k books for a while so i read a lot of them yeah shout out to gav thorpe by the way those books have been absolutely phenomenal (laughs) but that's going to be it folks uh we will see you next week Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.